0: You're listening to Leveling Up, where we'll show you how to win at the game of life and business. It's time to power up your skills through life gamification with your host, Eric Sue. All right, everyone, super excited to bring you Raul Vora, who is the founder and CEO at Superhuman, which is, well, we'll call it one of the best email tools that I've ever used before because it just makes people a lot more productive, it's a lot faster, and it's drummed up a lot of interest, a lot of fanfare in the last couple of years or so. Rahul, super excited to have you here. How's it going?
1: Going great. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, thanks for thanks for joining and thanks for uh, switching to your awesome video setup too. I'm going have to have to ask you about that afterwards. But Let's talk a little bit about kind of your backstory and how that led to Superhuman because before that I was using one of your other tools and I would see your face all the time. <laughs> I would log into that tool. So.
1: Yeah. So for folks that don't know, back in the day, I founded Reportive, which was the first Gmail plugin to scale to millions of users. It showed you everything about your contacts right inside your inbox. When people emailed you, we showed you what they look like, where they worked, their recent tweets and links to their social profiles. And when you weren't looking at a contact, it would indeed show my face. So for a a while here in Silicon Valley, I had this odd experience of walking into a venue and then suddenly everyone there would recognize me and I would have no idea who anyone else was. So this was about 10 years ago. We grew very rapidly and less than two years later, we were acquired by LinkedIn where we ended up running all of the company's email integrations.
0: Awesome. Can you, can you disclose any details around that deal?
1: I guess it is longer than seven years ago. So I I suppose, I can, at the time, of course, everything was under hushed uh, wrap up. There are, if if folks want to Google LinkedIn buying reportive, they'll they'll find all the kinds of rumors that were flying around at the time. But the the main reason that they bought us was uh, we had all of this expertise around email and how potentially one could integrate LinkedIn profiles with email. So when we ended up there, I ended up running all our email integrations, and the entire team came with me as well to do the same.
0: Got it. So it's more of a Acquire, more than anything.
1: Actually, no. It was for a very specific set of technologies at the time.
0: Got it. Got it. Yeah, I mean, I, I use Reportive all the time, and it was uh, it was a godsend. And at that time, I mean, that picture of you—you you were wearing glasses. You look like you were in your early twenties, correct?
1: Yeah, I was actually delivering a lecture at the University of Cambridge, I think, when that picture was taken.
0: Got it. That's hilarious. Okay, so talk about that journey now leading up to to this new project, Superhuman.
1: Well, like I said, at LinkedIn, we were running our email integrations. And during those four years, the two years of Reportive and the two years of Superhuman, I developed what I would describe as a very intimate view of email. I could see Gmail getting worse every single year becoming more cluttered, using more memory, consuming more CPU, slowing down your machine, still not really working properly offline. And on top of this, people were installing plugins, like ours reported, but also things like Boomerang, Mixmax, Clearbit, you name it, they had it. And basically each plugin took those problems I just outlined, clutter, memory, CPU, performance, offline, and made all of them dramatically worse. So we decided it is time for change. We imagined an email experience that's blazingly fast, where searches are instantaneous, where every interaction takes place in 100 milliseconds or less, an email experience where you never had to touch the mouse, where you could do everything from the keyboard, you could fly through your inbox, an email experience that just worked offline so you could be productive anywhere, and of course, an email experience that had the best Gmail plugins built in natively and was yet somehow subtle, minimal, and visually gorgeous. And so with that, we built Superhuman. And I'm happy to say that today it's the fastest email experience ever made. Our customers now get to their inbox twice as fast as before. They reply to their important email sooner. And many of them see inbox zero for the first time in years.
0: You know, it's interesting because a lot of people say, you know, back in the day when Google first came out, it's like, we don't need another search engine. And so Superhuman comes out. It's like, why do we need another email tool? right? But you guys have in fact created something that's, that's best in class. I'm looking at some numbers you guys have raised over thirty three million bucks in in funding. I guess can you talk about a how you guys make money as a business and B, how the business is doing today, whatever metrics you're okay with sharing growth rates, employee size, revenues, whatever you want to share?
1: Sure. So we've raised about fifty one million dollars in total. The thirty three that you're looking at was the series B raise from last summer. We raised about thirty three million dollars from Andreessen Horowitz and a selection of our prior investors. Uh, It was a great round. Mark Andreessen joined the board. David Ulovich joined the board. And we've been on a tear ever since then. Superhuman costs $30 per month, which at the outset might seem expensive. It might seem like it's a lot for a tool that might otherwise be free or nearly free. But most of our customers, like I said, are getting through their inbox twice as fast as before. This normally works out to saving many hours per week. And so when you start to do the cost of time and the value of time analysis, it it ends up being significantly worth it. In terms of headcounts, which you mentioned briefly, we're 50 going on 60 people growing rapidly, uh, mostly located here, although, of course, with everything that's happened this year, considering what it looks like to be a more distributed company.
0: Got it. I do do want to ask about Mark Andreessen, but the way you guys launched too, I'm not sure if you guys still do this today, but you guys created a lot of of fanfare because it was a wait list initially, right? So how I first heard about superhuman, I think, I don't know if it was Brad Feld on Twitter, but he's just talking about how, you know, I wish I invested in this, right? I was like, what is this superhuman thing? And then more and more people started talking about, at least on Twitter. So I guess in the early days, what was the the launch or kind of marking strategy to create this fever, right? This, this rabid buzz. So...
1: You know, I I wish I could tell you that there was a specific strategy that achieved that. Oftentimes, people assume that it was our waitlist. We have always run a waitlist. We continue to run a waitlist. And people think that that was done in order to create a sense of artificial scarcity, but nothing could be further from the truth. We run the waitlist so that there's a place for folks for whom we're not yet ready to serve. For example, we don't yet have an Android client, although we have a wonderful iOS app, and we don't yet have an Office 365 client, although the program works incredibly well with Gmail and with G Suite. And so for for those folks, we have a wait list so that we can reach out to them just as soon as we're ready, and they don't have to wait any longer than is necessary. And today we have over 350,000 people on that wait list. As for what causes all of the buzz, I honestly think it comes down to the product. We actually just finished this analysis I, I can share on air. Uh, 36% of customers now hit inbox zero within the onboarding itself, and more than half of all customers hit inbox zero within four hours of starting to use the product. I think it's experiences like that which are truly remarkable and make people want to share it with their friends.
0: Yeah. Maybe I should start. I think the problem for me is I had too many Gmail extensions already. I was like, oh man, it's so hard to come off of it. But I did really enjoy using superhuman. So I think maybe I'll give it another, another shot. Maybe there's the argument too that. If I have too many plugins, maybe I'm not focusing on the right things. There's that. So. You guys, I mean, you guys did the wait list, but also at the same time, it was, these were for a $30 a month product. You had a customer success person reach out and then also walk me through everything. Right. And so in the beginning, I think I was like, okay, they're probably doing it for customer development. They're learning a lot, but the economics don't seem to work out long-term. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. And are you guys still doing that right now?
1: You are right on the first part. So initially it was for a customer discovery. In fact, initially. I did all of those calls. They were actually in-person meetings. They took about two hours each. I would turn up. I would give a demo of Superhuman. I would do a pricing sensitivity analysis in the call itself, run people through what we call a Van Westendorp pricing sensitivity questionnaire. We would then do the onboarding. I would then insist on watching them do their email for north of half an hour. And The reason why I did that is inevitably, people would run into bugs. Uh, And we just have this philosophy inside of Supium that it kind of doesn't make sense for multiple people to report the same bug over and over again. And so in those early days, when I'd pick up those 10 bugs, I would take them back to the team and insist that we fix them before we onboard next week's cohort of users. Because otherwise, what's the point? Next week's users are going to report the same bugs, and we won't learn about the level of bugs that lies beyond or underneath. And that is truly the secret to how you build a high-quality product. Now, when we were doing that, what we noticed is that these users I was onboarding had category-leading retention, industry benchmark-breaking, MPS, virality, products market fit, you name it, the metric was fantastic. And I thought, well, is this the product? Is it me? Is it the fact that they got to sit down for two hours with the founder of the company? It could be all of these things that sort of generating this intense loyalty to the product and this love, the the buzz that you spoke of earlier. And so we started to remove and change variables to see what would happen. The first thing that we changed is, well, what if it wasn't me doing it? What if it was, in fact, our head of growth doing it? And he ramped it up from where I was at, which is about five onboardings per week to about 20 onboardings per week. He got it down from two hours per onboarding to one hour per onboarding. And guess what? All of those metrics were just as good. And so then we went on to the next phase, which is, well, maybe he's just really good at this. What if it was somebody else? And we hired our first growth people. We call them full-stack growth people. They did everything from basic SDR work to the actual onboardings itself through to customer support on the other end. So like that full life cycle of the customer journey. And they got the onboardings down from one hour to 45 minutes. There was a brief dip in metrics, but as they learned the role, they all bounced back. And then we were like, huh, interesting. I wonder how far we can push this because it truly is a unique and remarkable phenomenon that we have these fantastic metrics. And every single customer of superhuman can genuinely say that they know someone at the company, that they met them, and that they liked us. Like they have a friend inside the company. That's really powerful. So we decided to hire our first dedicated set of onboarding specialists, these first six people who were the founding members of that team, and they do between 40 and 45 calls per week. And this is where it comes back to your last question, which is, is this even unit economic? And the shocking thing is, yes, it actually is. Where most companies would put money towards paid customer acquisition, buying Facebook or Google ads, we instead put those same dollars to onboarding and making sure that our customers have the best possible time in that first 30 minutes with the products, which I think is why more than half of them hit inbox zero within four hours of starting to use the product.
0: That's amazing. So is it, it sounds like a lot of your growth right now is still driven by word of mouth. Is that correct?
1: Absolutely. It's word of mouth, it's PR, it's content, it's virality. The The secret, and I, I learned this at LinkedIn, behind any successful mass market consumer internet company is it's always word of mouth all the way if you don't have word of mouth there's no amount of paid acquisition that will save you
0: got it so you guys don't run a lot of paid right now correct
1: we're beginning to do some paid experiments because it's interesting and you know there is this notion of trying to run your company at the efficient frontier if you have money that you could put into paid and you're not doing it well then you should be because then you'll be growing even faster Uh, so we're trying to experiment with that now.
0: Cool. And you doing podcasts, because you've done quite a few. I mean, this is kind of word of mouth as well, right? So
1: yeah. And uh, I'd be, you know, we do have that waitlist, like I said, 350,000 people who are on the waitlist. But what I will say for our listeners today is if that they send me an email, Rahul at or send me a DM on Twitter, Rahul Bora, I would be happy to skip the line for the community.
0: Wow, look at that. Look at, so you heard it on this podcast. So I'm curious because literally just before this interview, I talked to the CEO of Levels, which is the, um, the CGM, the, the monitor you put on, glucose monitor, and he was talking about product market fit. They've done thousands of calls, right? So I'm, and him as a the, as a CEO. So when I first, same type of funnel, right? I uh, opted in, was on the wait list. He gives me a call and then we go through the process. I think it's like a 45 minute call. And then he skipped me ahead of the line and my Levels is coming today, so happy. I'm just curious, for you, how many calls did you do as a founder before you started to kind of hand it off? Well, first of all,
1: that makes me incredibly happy as an investor in Levels and as a happy customer myself. I've had a a lot of history with nutritionists, trainers. I'm a big believer in you can't change what you don't measure. So I'm excited to circle back later and find out what your Levels experience was like. To your question, I interviewed, yeah, like over a 1,000 people in that first year of Superhuman. Now, there are ways you can do this efficiently. When I tell that to people, to begin with, I think that they assume that maybe I went out and met a 1,000 people. And if you were to try and do that in a year, you would quickly find it to be untenable. Or if you were doing that, you wouldn't be doing anybody else. That's more than three people a day. So how do you do it? Well, what we did is we created a landing page. Not the landing page we have today. It was a super jank landing page of just like a standard Squarespace theme with a little bit of copy, And the only thing you could do on the landing page was sign up. Next question is, how do you drive signups to the page? Well, what we did, and this is my advice for every founder that I work with, is the most efficient thing you can do is to find an evergreen way to inject yourself into the news cycle. So there's a lot of nuance there. Let's break it down. The news cycle, as it pertains to Superhuman, of course, being an email company, was everything happening in and around email and productivity. Now, we started the company at the tail end of 2014, and as I, you might recall, at the beginning of I want to want to get my years right. I think this was at the beginning of 2016. Mailbox was going to be sunset, and this was a big deal because Dropbox had just dropped over 100 million dollars of cash and equity on buying the thing, and then maybe six, seven months later, it was going to be disappeared. And as a founder myself who'd previously sold an email company, I had a very relevant perspective on this, not just because of email, but because I've been into a big, gigantic corporation like LinkedIn and lived to tell the tale. Reports have survived for 10 years after it was coded. And so essentially, I wrote an article not just on how to survive an acquisition, but how to thrive in an acquisition and how to make sure that your product stands the test of time and will continue to be relevant hopefully a decade from now. I published that on Medium, not on my own Medium, but on somebody else's Medium where they had hundreds of thousands of followers. And That article, which then ended up also being syndicated to QZ.com, drove somewhere in the region of ten to 20,000 signups for Superhuman. kick-started what we just talked about, which was word of mouth. So you have all these people coming to this really jank Squarespace page. They sign up. Most companies would just stop there, but don't just stop there. What we did is they then all receive an email from me. Now, it was an automated email from me, but it was very short. It was very sweet. It basically said, Hey, I'm Rahul. Thank you for signing up. Two quick questions, if I may. Number one, what do you use for email today? Number two, what are your pet peeves? or What do you hate about it? And a certain set of people would respond. When they responded, you then pick up manually. It is important at that point to actually be, be real, be present, be authentic, be genuine, be there, and continue the conversation. And so they might say something like, well, I use Gmail. I use Boomerang. I really don't like how Gmail doesn't work properly offline. It feels really slow and clunky, so on and so forth. And then I would reply and say something like, okay, great, we're totally here, you're working on all those things. I'm really curious, with Boomerang, what features would you consider must-have? And they would reply back and say something like, the ability to remind me if people don't reply is must-have, but honestly, I don't schedule emails that much, and so I would stack rank that much lower. And the trick with these conversations is to keep them going as long as you feasibly can. It's almost like a little game that you can play with yourself, just always find something else to be curious about. And you'll typically find organically, it will peter off after about five or six interactions. But now that person is invested in the company, they like you, they're excited about how much you care because you have genuinely shown that you do care and you've done an epic amount of customer discovery. Now, we did that and to the tune of a thousand conversations over the course of the first year, which gave me this incredible conviction about what we had set out to build. We learned that people disliked Gmail because it was really slow. To your point, you need a plethora of plugins to make it do anything useful. Those plugins ruin the experience, they slow it down, they, they take an already decrepit thing and they make it more decrepit. For the people who are using offline clients, like let's say Spark or AirMail, they didn't like how buggy they were, how long it takes to sync, and how generally unstable those, those offline things can feel. And so we thought, well, The vision for superhuman then is clear. Let's make a thing that is blazingly fast, that just works offline, that is super stable, and for which you don't need a ecosystem of plugins to actually make it do useful stuff.
0: Yeah. Look, we're we're on zoom right now, right? It just works. That's what, that's kind of the tagline that they have. And yours is, it just works, right? It just works. It's fast and it does what it's supposed to do. You know, it doesn't need to be rockets. I think there's a lot of work that goes into it certainly, but it's, it's simple at the end of the day. So if I break it down this way, you did a thousand calls the first year and each of these, I'm assuming they're not all two hours, but if they all, that's 19,
1: I think that's 19 a week. Well, if you remember, remember the story, they weren't actually calls. I don't think that's sufficient. They were emails back and forth.
0: Okay, got it. And then a, a very small subset of those would become actual meetings.
1: I think actual meetings, I probably did 20, 30. Okay. Got it, got I, it. I think the actual meeting aspect of customer discovery is overrated. Yeah. I, I know the phrases get out of the office. Yeah. Well, I mean, we all did that now, but yeah. uh, I, <laughs> I don't think it is to be taken literally. I think the important thing is talk to hundreds, if not thousands, of potential customers and truly understand what it is that they need and I do think the most efficient and effective way to do that is to engage them in an email asynchronous conversation so you can both reply at a cadence that makes sense to you
0: that's so simple I mean it's okay so just to clarify again the funnel is you drive into a landing page and then I know for the questions you ask you know what do you use for for email what do you hate about it right um what happens before that what are you what are you seeing on the landing page again
1: it was super simple. So you come to this landing page. We had some kind of stock photography header, superhuman. We didn't even know that it was going to be the fastest email experience in the world at that time. I think the tagline was blazingly fast and visually gorgeous email, a lot less catchy. Got it. And maybe uh, it was a 100 words of copy mm-hmm. about some of the features that we thought we might build. But it was incredibly vague and generic. So it was a pre-launch page, right? Totally a pre-launch page. The only thing that you could do is sign up to hear more about the company. And as soon as you signed up, that's when we put you in this email flow, the top of the funnel for which is automated. But as soon as we got that response, it becomes, okay, now you're in a real conversation with the founder of the company. Fascinating. Yeah, I,
0: I love that the second question, especially because what do you hate? It's a visceral feeling, right? What do I hate about something? All right. So, having Mark Andreessen on your board, so, you know, one of the co founders of, of Netscape, Andreessen Horowitz, obviously, not a lot of people can say that, right? I, I think it's just you have this almost like a celebrity figure on your board. So, how, how does that experience just, I'm, I'm just curious.
1: He's honestly, he's been incredible. It's rare to meet someone with that level of intellect, but also humility and quick-wittedness, and wisdom, and perspective. So I'll I'll give you an example. You'll probably recall the read status controversy of last year. So for those that don't know, we, we have read statuses inside of Superhuman. They allow you to, when you send an email, you can see if your recipient opened it, even individual recipients, and on what device, was it on their phone, was it on their desktop? Super useful if you're in any kind of growth, or BD, or sales, or recruiting type. Role because you want to be able to time your follow-ups, you want to be able to know that, oh, well, maybe the reason they didn't reply is because they opened it on their phone. I'm not going to get stressed out about this right now. Maybe I'll follow up in a, in a week or so, Something you know, stuff like that. Now, there was some controversy around this because people didn't really understand what we built. Uh, it was on by default. Today, it's off by default. We got through the whole thing, but it was very stressful at the time. Now, Mark, who sits on Facebook's board, has seen this, A 100 times over. This happens to Facebook many multiple times per year. And he was able to provide a perspective that very few people were able to provide. So I remember being on a call with our lawyers and we were talking about GDPR. There was a lot of concern. Is this or is this not GDPR compliant? For the record, it is. But like there was a lot of debates at that time. And I remember Mark being very quiet on the call. And about 45 minutes in, when the lawyers were recommend that we actually just remove the feature entirely, he chimed in and he said, Hey, listen, folks, I've been on the board of Facebook for so many years. This kind of thing happens all the time. It is wrong to capitulate on stuff where we have done no wrong. Let's fix our errors, but otherwise be confident in the products that we've built and in the value of technology and in the ability for technology to push humanity forwards And let's keep fighting the good fight, right? Let's not just sort of cower and duck away here. And then during that time, he would, you know, he just sent me a text message every day or two stuff like, don't worry, we believe in you got your back. Uh, you got this, you know, just like simple one-liners that were just designed to pep me up because it was truly a hard time. Like during that period, I would sleep for maybe two or three hours a day. It was extremely stressful. The amount of work that we had to get through was, it was insane. And it it was very obvious that I was carrying all of this weight on my shoulders to everyone who who was working with me. And and so he was playing this, this role of sort of mentor and coach and sage guru all at the same time.
0: That, that's an amazing story. Thank you for, for sharing that. And I think also in the back of my mind too, I'm like, okay, if you want one of the premier venture firms to pay attention, I think I'm also looking at, okay, you know, why do they put in so much money into Superhuman? You know, obviously, it's very large, total addressable market. I think there's a lot of things to consider. Like If you want to you know, have one of these amazing people on your board, I just named one thing, so you're Tam, but what are some other things you think might get people's attention if they wanted to swing for the fences, go build something big?
1: Yeah. Good question. So there are a number of things and it's really hard to generalize because every venture fund is a little bit different in terms of what it is that they look for. Uh, with Andreessen Horowitz, my sense is that they were looking for and are looking for obviously a really big TAM. They're not looking for just a billion dollar outcomes. They're looking for multi-billion dollar outcomes. And I think one of the mistakes that people make, excuse me, that founders make is, you know, raising your seed round is easy. These days, you don't even have to have a product, just a a good track record, and and the conception of a good product is enough to raise a good seed round. Similarly, raising your Series A is fairly easy. You just, and for folks on audio, I'm using air quotes, you just have to tell a billion dollar story. Where folks trying to raise a Series B or a Series C often trip up is, especially if you want to raise from a Tier 1 fund like Andreessen Horowitz, a billion dollar story isn't actually big enough. You should be telling a multi-billion dollar story. You should be telling a compelling step-by-step playbook for how the company gets to a $10 billion plus outcome. And that's what we did for Superhuman. We we have a very natural path to being a $10 billion plus story, which starts off in email, but then it becomes a general productivity vision. And that is the narrative that our Series B pitch deck and to you know, but this is the scenario of are running today—that is the vision of the company. So that plus a technical founder who's in the weeds in the product, who uh, we're talking about myself, of course, who who loves product, who loves marketing, who loves design, and who has a track record in the space that I've built a a product that's you know achieved almost a cult-like status with Reportsive Previously, okay. we have an exceptional team, a very technically talented team that knows how to build hard things that other people can't build. And one of the most important, we have a product that people love. You know, superhuman, it sort of creates this visceral, to use your word, reaction from our customers, which is, it, I mean, it just it borders, it starts on delight and it borders on love. And if that question that I've, I've now tremendously popularized, which is, how would you feel if you could no longer use superhuman? I mean, the answer is most people are like, I would be very disappointed if you took this away and like really gets like, to it. It's got to be like 90% for you guys, right? It's it's really high. So the, yeah. the threshold that I advise people to aim for is 40% plus. Actually, if it's, if it's 90% plus, I would go so far as to say you're probably not expanding your market fast enough. That is too high. Yeah. Uh, if it's 90% plus, you should be testing new personas. You should be Growing more aggressively in a sense get that number down because you are probably leaving growth on the table. That's great Well, you know, the the other thing I wanted to talk
0: about too, because you've you came from a gaming background you talked about game design so you can see there's a lot of gamification like I I just remember when I was using superhuman There's like oh, I feel good. There's like these dopamine hits going on, right? So talk to us about what game design means and maybe you know If you can share some resources around how people can actually improve at it. That'll be helpful.
1: Sure. Okay. So this is a deep topic. We, we could talk about this for hours. I'll give you the quick summary. My big thesis on this is that most people, when they start to get to grips with this, unless they have a background in game design, and I happen to work professionally as a game designer before I became a founder, is that they end up practicing gamification, points, levels, trophies, badges. But guess what? Gamification does not work. The folks who've been in technology for 10 years plus we'll remember that it was a big deal about 10 years ago and now barely anyone talks about it. Why? Because it kind of fizzled out it turns out to be a gimmick. Now, the thing that does work is actually true game design. And at Superhuman, we build software like it's a game. If you think about a game, nobody needs a game to exist. There are no requirements. Uh, No one's saying, you know, that this is what a game has to be. What a game inspires are feelings of, fun, and joy, and happiness, and delight. And so that's the way that we build software at Superhuman. How do we work towards those emotions? What I can do, actually, I'll, I know folks are also listening on audio, but Eric, I'll send you the resource after the the call here, is Google Superhuman Gamification Game Design. And I gave a talk at the Andreessen Horowitz LP Summit earlier this year. So it was only available at the time, to the community for Andreessen Horowitz, but it is now on YouTube and it has since turned been into a blog post on their blog. And in this talk, I go deep into our seven principles of game design, including some really counterintuitive conclusions, such as make your product harder to use. And I think I'll leave it there because uh, the, the explanation is, is deep and nuanced, and for folks who are interested, I highly recommend checking out that article and that blog post.
0: Yeah, I just pulled up the YouTube video. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch it. I think for lunch. Um, there's one guy first comment, Cedric. This guy sounds so confident. (laughs) That's (laughs) that's that's hilarious. Okay, so I'm just curious. I remember reading a blog post, and I I'm pretty sure. I mean, I conceptually I I get what they're saying. They're like, okay, they have 350,000 people on their wait list. That imputes, you know, ten million dollars a month in in monthly recurring revenue. Blah blah blah. I'm pretty sure it's. I guess my question is, can you confirm?
1: Is that person directionally correct? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we do have 350,000 people on our waitlist yeah. and yes, if we were to convert the entire waitlist at $30 a month, we're talking an extremely large amount of annual yep. recurring revenue. Remember the purpose of the waitlist is for folks who we're not yet ready to serve. Yep. And so that will, it will happen in time. And I think this is one of the reasons uh, again, why, why folks in the investment community are excited about Superhuman we seem to have picked a problem that's really struck a nerve with the community. People want a better email experience. Right. Well,
0: what's the most exciting thing you've read or consumed recently? Working Twins wrapping up here.
1: most exciting thing I've read or consumed recently? Do you mean in a business context, in a personal context? Any. How are you feeling about this? Any. Any? Huh, okay. It's not stuff I can share. So the most exciting stuff I've read recently has been, as I'm fleshing up the vision, where Superhuman goes down the line, the kinds of products that we want to build, the kind of features that we want to add into Superhuman—that's the stuff that gets me really excited. But that's uh, perfect. I'll so watch curious, this space. Like,
0: I'm just curious, you know what, what's going on in your head, but anyway, I cut you off. Keep going. Yeah,
1: yeah. no, I, I was done. I was just going to say,
0: watch this space. Got it. Cool. And then, how about business trends that you're super excited
1: about? Interesting. Okay, so business trends that I'm excited about. So I am also an angel investor. I run an early stage angel fund with my buddy Todd Goldberg. Check it out the toddandrahulangelfund.com, and we have a number of theses that we're super excited about. To rattle just a few off, uh, healthcare was super excited about. Education, we're excited about business infrastructure, creator tools, productivity, of course, viral SaaS, superhuman being, a great example of the last two. We've invested in in between more than 35, going on 40 companies at this point from this fund. And they're all in in those areas of our core interest. Got it. Great. And favorite tool not called superhuman? (laughs) Favorite tool not called superhuman. Okay. I would have to go with brain.fm. For those that don't know, brain.fm produces music to improve focus, improve flow. The promise is that you can start listening to their music and within 15 minutes, you'll be significantly more focused. I've been using it for years, swear by it. It makes me significantly more focused.
0: Love it. And then final question, favorite book.
1: Favorite book, okay, hands down, this has to be The Art of Game Design by Jesse Schell. For anyone interested in learning deeply about game design beyond what I share in the video and in the blog post, definitely buy a copy of that book. And if folks are looking for a fiction recommendation, Gardens of the Moon by Steven Erickson, you mentioned you were interested in fantasy. We talked a little bit about World of Warcraft. Uh, it is high fantasy. It's like Game of Thrones, but taken to the next level of complexity, if you can even imagine that.
0: That is amazing. So it's called, wait, I'm just trying to buy both these books right now. The, game, the, the Garden of... The Wind. Arts
1: of Game Design by Jesse Schell and Gardens of the Moon by Steven Erickson. Gardens of the Moon. I'm going to pick that one up.
0: <laughs> Funny thing is I just tried to buy the Game Design book. I have it already. I just never read it. So <laughs> I have that one. Uh,
1: anyway, Raul, this has been great. What's the best way for people to find you online? Of course, I'm open on email, rahul at com, And my DMs on Twitter are also open. That's Rahul Bora, my first name, my last name. Once again, if folks want to skip the line and get onto Superhuman, just send me a note and we'll take care of that right away.
0: Perfect. Rahul, thanks so much for
1: doing this. All right. Take care, buddy. Bye.